0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios, and of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Welcome to a special edition of The Path and the Practice. I am mixing it up a bit, and instead of featuring a conversation with a Foley attorney reflecting on their path to law and their practice at Foley, what I have for you is the audio from a recruiting event hosted in the summer of 2022. In particular, this is a conversation featuring four Foley attorneys highlighting what it's like to be from an underrepresented group and practicing in a large law firm, specifically Foley and Lardner. It's a wide-ranging and very candid conversation, providing general insights on their experience, giving advice on the early days of one's legal career, as well as tips on navigating OCI and the law firm interview process. Additionally, each attorney reflects on why it is they chose Foley and what has kept them at Foley. It's a wide-ranging discussion packed with advice covering the experience of attorneys who are some of whom are first-generation lawyers, as well as members of the Black, LGBTQ, and South Asian communities. Although the show very much highlights the experience of diverse attorneys, what it really does is contain advice and insight relevant to anyone navigating law school, OCI, and or just curious about the culture of Foley and Lardner. In particular, this show features Von Bryant, a partner out of our Washington DC office with a corporate practice, Byron McLean, a partner out of Los Angeles, who is focused on litigation. Ana Romes, senior counsel out of Miami with a labor and employment practice, and Danya Abbasi, an associate out of Houston, who is focused on litigation for more information about these attorneys, I highly recommend you listen to their respective episodes of The Path and the Practice. And if you listen until the end of the show, during the outro, I will provide the episode numbers for each attorney. And also please note, because we took this audio from a different presentation, it starts right in with Byron McLean introducing himself. I hope you enjoy the discussion.
1: So my name is Byron McLean. I am a partner in the Los Angeles office of Foley and Lardner. Um, My practice group is the JEDI Group, which is Government Enforcement, Defense, and Investigations Group. Um, I've been with the firm since November of 2018, Uh, went to Harvard for law school, and moved out here to Los Angeles soon thereafter after graduating. So I'm happy to be with you all and looking forward to uh, to sharing perspectives on diversity and and being at a law firm.
0: Thanks so much, Byron. Danya, how about you?
2: Hi, my name is Dani Abassi. I'm a third year associate in the Houston office of Foley. I am half commercial litigator, bread and butter, half Jedi associate. And I am in the same practice group as Byron as well. 2019 University of Houston Law Center.
0: Von, how about you go next?
3: Afternoon, everyone. Von Bryant. I'm a partner in our DC office. I'm in the transactions practice group. So I work on private equity, venture capital, and mergers and acquisitions transactions primarily. Law School, uh, WashU in St. Louis, class of 2011, and uh, looking forward to to chatting with you all today.
0: Thanks so much, Vaughn. And Vaughn, for those who have listened to the podcast, has the esteem of being episode number one of the show, which we actually started the show two years ago, Vaughn. So this was around two years oh. ago. You trusted me to do this thing that there was zero proof of concept. <laughs> of. So I will always um, thank you for that. Last but certainly not least, Anna, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Hello to everyone. Welcome. Thank you for attending. My name is Anna Romus.
4: I am senior counsel in the firm's Miami office. I graduated from the University of Miami Law School in 2012. I'm a litigator. I practice primarily in federal court, and I handle False Claims Act cases, Lanham Act cases, Title VII cases, and then
0: all the other claims that sometimes get attached to those complaints that's better. Thank you so much Anna. We're going to jump right in and I actually really wish I could warm you guys up before I got to this question, but jumping right in all of you are, you know, diverse in some way. You know, some ways that we can guess just by looking at you and probably ways that you know we can't. And so I want to get a sense for how has it been being under a, a, a diverse lawyer, which by the way is a catch-all for anything that is, you know, different <laughs> or underrepresented or maybe at one point, historically or systemically excluded from large law firms, and you know, actually, Anna, I want to I want to start with you. How have you found it being a lawyer at Foley and Lardner? And say more about your background too, like, and how are you diverse? Sure, that's a big question. and you know, I I,
4: I knew this was one of the topics, so I should be more prepared.
0: And and by the way, I should uh, break it apart and like ease up, but I'm not. I'm just we're starting. We got forty five okay. minutes. I'm just going. <laughs> that's fine.
4: I'm a lesbian attorney, I'm a mom, I'm a, I was an older law student. I got my law degree uh, right before I turned 40 and I'm a first generation uh, attorney. There's no one else in my family uh, that ever became an attorney or was really ever in private business. I come from a family of government workers, proud government workers. There was a lot to navigate for me in in terms of uh, being part of the LGBTQ community, I think because I was an older attorney, it was a little less difficult for me to navigate that. I'm sort of like, I I am who I am. You get who you get. You like it or you don't. I'm I'm not going to change that for a job ever. In that regard, it has not presented difficulties for me that I know of. If it's presented difficulties for me, it's because someone didn't choose me for a job because I'm very out on my resume and out in life. And um, if they don't want me, I don't want them. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did, did you have any concerns when you were either, you know, talking with firms or considering a law firm? And it, by the way, I just have to say, like I would mentioned, I'm the firm's director of diversity and inclusion. I somewhat resent the fact that I need to boil anybody down to sort of these like key characteristics. But I do think, you know, we we wonder, are are these like is Foley or other law firms open and caring and welcoming to, to people of different backgrounds? Did you have any of those concerns when you were? navigating the process. I mean, look, I always have those
4: concerns because you want to know and you want to make sure. So when it comes down to the wire, I'll often have that conversation. Like this this is who I am, this is who my wife is, this is who my children are, do we have a place in the firm? And I asked that very specifically of the office managing partner when I was deciding which firm to go to after my clerkship. Is it hard to have that conversation? Absolutely. I don't like it, but I'd rather have it on the front end. And then of course, Because it is easier to slide under the radar when you're a lesbian and and you're a mom and people make assumptions about you, you feel like you have to let every new partner that comes into your life know about your life. And there are partners I work with with whom I have never had the conversation
0: about what I do or who I am outside of work. They know maybe, but we don't talk about it. I appreciate that. That's a really thoughtful answer. Danya, I'm going to I'm going to skip to you and I'm making this broad so you can sort of pick up on whatever part of the general idea that I'm touching on. But, um, you know, the a sense we, like woman of color navigating big law, you're still a little bit earlier in your career. Did you have concerns when considering law firms? Then also, how's it been for you?
2: Sure. So I'll start the way that Anna did. I am a, an immigrant. I am the first lawyer in my family. I am yeah, a, clearly a woman of color. I started law school in an interesting so Houston's a minority majority city. So I was part of a very diverse law school class, but I knew based on panels just like this one that employers are not necessarily going to look like an extremely diverse law school class. So it was it was in my brain. It was it's always kind of there the worry that you'll go to a place that, you know, no one really looks like you. You're never going to remind the partner of their son like it's just that it's always kind of in the back of your head. But I will say that once I met the folks here and started actually as a summer associate and then as a full time lawyer, even if people don't look like me, it's a really
0: welcoming bunch. It's helpful. Vaughn, how about you? I mean, I think in particular within big law over the last few years, there's been a big focus on black lawyers in large law firms and really the dearth of black partners in large law firms. What has your experience been at Foley? And did you have concerns about being a black man entering big law, you know, however many years ago that was?
3: I guess no a special concern outside of general concern for oneself. In America, but I used to being kind of like one of few Black people in like lots of situations, so like that was like not a new thing. So, but I definitely wanted like welcoming colleagues, inclusive environment, and definitely feel that at Foley. But I was, you know, disappointed. You know, being in D.C. when I joined was one of like three Black associates. I came in as a third year. And then one woman, she left, like, right after I got there. So then it was just me and, like, one person. And But we've, you know, enhanced the numbers since then. And when I joined, I would say Foley's willing to change and, like, wants to do the right thing. But sometimes you have to hold their hand a little bit. Because when I got here, at least for the, you know, the period when I got here, we weren't recruiting at Howard. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's insanity, right? And so now we recruited Howard. And now we have, like, a Howard scholarship and, like, all of this other stuff. Which we should like have always had. So like they do like fix it and like course correct. So like that's positive in what you want out of your workplace. But specifically, never felt, you know, I think maybe Anna said like not knowingly no I I don't I didn't knowingly feel anything negative, but conversely I feel a lot of positives because uh there's maybe there's you know, depends on how you look at it, it could be more opportunities if you're one of few to kind of Branch out, work with more people, get 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 on stage or panels like this. You know, there's more there's more things to kind of do sometimes as a as a quote diverse attorney. And you know, my approach has always been uh, embracing it. And maybe I said this on the podcast, Alexis. I don't know, but my dad always had this. One of his phrases was, "Um, there's a difference between selling out and buying in, right? Mm-hmm. And and the difference is like what's good for you. And so." You know, you 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 look at that and like uh, different things he said always kind of bounce around in the back of my head. And that's one that felt appropriate to share here on this panel.
0: Fon, you did not say that on the podcast. I remember the catchphrase you shared from your father as being from GED to PhD.
3: Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. That was one as well.
0: So... For Truly, if you haven't listened to that conversation with Vaughn, you absolutely <laughs> should. Byron, I'd like to go to you if you have any general comments on sort of your background, your concerns with big law. And I guess to give people even more context, you spent a number of years in private practice. You then were a prosecutor and then came back to a firm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then perhaps we can
1: segue a bit into you talking about Foley's racial justice and equity practice group. So I... I, I- I initially want to just hit on something that Anna had mentioned about being the first in the family to be a lawyer, right? That was my experience as well. And I think part of the issue I had was not just trying to be a lawyer at a big law firm, but being the, you know, lawyer go-to of my entire family, right? Like, they just assume, oh, you're a lawyer now, so can you help me with this will and trust, or can you, you know, help me with this, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm a litigator, right? Part- so, Yeah. Can you help me with, you know, creating this, you know, this business? Can you help me with whatever? Right. And so you kind of have the burden of being the first in the family and you part of it. You want to embrace that burden. Right. Your family is so proud of you and being, you know, the first lawyer in the family. But it can be a burden because you know you're trying to navigate a world that you're not even familiar with. Um, and you have these other colleagues who are, you know, their dad or their mom or their grandfather were all lawyers, and they kind of seem as if they know the ropes ahead of time. You're kind of learning it, right? Um, and so that was definitely a challenge for me starting off as a, a junior lawyer 15 years ago. I will say that you know now it's 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 a time period where I think being a diverse attorney more so than it was 15 years ago is now it's it's you're marketable, right? Like pe- a lot of firms are embracing that diversity. They want people who are not just the same Cookie Carter, same lawyer that they've had, you know over the last you know fifty to one hundred years of their history. They want someone who's going to have different opinions, different viewpoints, bring something different to the table. And that's what I would encourage all of you all to do is to figure out what makes you unique. As a you know, current law school student and and person who wants to work at a law firm, like, what do you bring to the table? Because all of you all have something that that does that for you. And um, I think articulating that during your interviews is probably one of the best things you could do. For me, what I realized was I'm very passionate about racial justice and equity issues, right? That that's something that I enjoy, I care about. And so, as Alexis was alluding to, one of the things that we ended up starting up at Foley after the George Floyd uh, murder was the Rachel Justice and Equity Practice Group. There were three, I guess, senior counsel at the time um, who, you know, wanted Foley to take advantage of this moment and do something concrete and not just talk about taking action, but actually do something. And so they came up with the idea of creating this, um, this practice group, which now, you know, we do both pro bono work and, quite frankly, paid client work. I'm not sure if you all you all have probably heard of the Bruce's Beach Matter in the news recently. That's something that Foley, you know, worked on. You know, we defended the county of Los Angeles in the litigation, trying to prevent them from transferring the land. One of our big clients right now is the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. You know, we work on helping them, you know, navigate some you know tough issues that they're going through right now. So it was just a great opportunity for you to kind of embrace, you know, your interest and your diversity and let law firms know, you know, what you bring to the table in that regard.
0: And Byron, I want to go back a little on Bruce's speech. I know I heard a lot about it. I want to say a, a year, maybe more ago, and it was this land was going to go back to this black family. Now, you mm-hmm. know, many generations down the line who had owned this piece of property that had mm-hmm. essentially been taken by the government from them
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the early 1900s, I want to say.
1: Yeah, 1920s. I, yeah. I, I
0: kind of thought it had been resolved, actually, <laughs> until I heard about the litigation Where Because somebody essentially asserted that it shouldn't go to them. And you, of course, understand the procedural posture a lot more. But that is where I know you were involved in that litigation and others in helping so that the land actually got transferred. And I think just recently it did.
1: Yeah. So, in fact, there was a white male taxpayer in the county of Los Angeles who felt as if the land should not be transferred because it was the taxpayer's land or the taxpayer's money. Um, And so he filed a pro se lawsuit in uh, Los Angeles Superior Court, basically trying to prevent the transfer. And so the county of L.A., who's been a long-term client of the firms, reached out to me and said, hey, can you defend us in this lawsuit? We really want, you know, this is, we think it's the right thing to do to transfer this land back to this African-American family. We're almost, you know, at the end where we can transfer it, but we had this lawsuit that's preventing us from doing so. And so we got engaged back in uh, October, November of 2021, and quite frankly, and we got it finally resolved in May of 2022, where we got the lawsuit dismissed because they A judge determined that our view was the right one, basically saying there was a strong public policy interest in transferring this land. And quite frankly, the judge in his opinion said, the county's doing the right thing, which was great. And so ultimately um, we were able to uh, to get it uh, dismissed and the land literally got approval from the Board of Supervisors on last Tuesday, a unanimous vote to transfer the land back to this uh, African-American family. It was taken in the 1920s by the city of Manhattan Beach. And over the course of time, ended up in the county's hands based, you know, a couple of different transfers and the county decided it was the right thing to give it back.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Thanks so much for elaborating on that. I want to go back around another another round round robin. There's a number of things you want to touch on during our time as a group together. But what is the advice that you wish you either got or you would give yourself in terms of navigating either the early years of being a lawyer or maybe even this whole, you know, OCI thing. And we're going to get more into that soon. But Vaughn, can I start with you? What's some advice either that you wish you'd gotten or that you'd routinely
3: give others? I think some some good advice would be, you know, you need to be generally in the area of law that you want to practice in. But beyond that, as a baby lawyer you know, or junior lawyer, you should be open to everything you know because you can learn from anything and so it really is a turn off when you try to work with a junior and they're like oh i you know i do private equity i don't do venture capital i'm like you're crazy you know like this is transactional work the skills you learn carry over you know it doesn't matter the, the type of client and so just being open and because some of the things that i was open to i learned a lot you know for at one point i was an energy lawyer for like a snippet you know and but just Doing those deals like informs how I do the types of deals that I do now. So just I mean, maybe that's not um a groundbreaking thing, but uh, just be be open-minded to to the opportunities and and appreciate all of it because everybody's role is critical on the team. The junior person, you know, is usually doing like the signature pages or something, but like if the names aren't right, do we have an effective contract? You know, like so you yes. know everybody, everybody's uh, role matters and just embrace it. And, and it really does in in the practice of law, at least at a law firm is building blocks. And so each thing kind of will inform the next. And just, you know, cause I, I was the one saying, why am I doing signature pages? This is like for a secretary. And like, that was wrong. You know, that was the wrong mindset, you know? And so, uh, you know, telling myself there, but I, I'll, i start with that for now.
0: Hold well, on. I laugh really hard. Cause that's why I couldn't do corporate <laughs> so in my my past, I was a litigator because I was like, couldn't okay. like an admin just do this? Like, why are you? Me? <laughs> Sorry, don't don't do that. Anyone don't do it. But I think what you raise is really important. It's a tough needle to thread when you're in law school, particularly if you know you're going to be the first lawyer in your family, your first generation, people start throwing these words at you like, do you want to be a litigator? Do you want to be corporate? And so I think a part of it is having these conversations. I mean, the podcast is a bit of a cheat sheet to hear people talk about their practices, to get a general sense of what you're interested in, and then realize there's probably way more out there than you've even heard of. And part of what you're trying to do is just get exposure. So I think, and by the way, until you have skills, you're not too important to do anything, including signature Uh, (laughs) pages. Danya, how about you? Just early, early advice, things you wish someone had told you.
2: I was going to say the be a sponge thing. I feel like, Now I don't have an answer because Von
0: stole it. No, um, (laughs) it's fine.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Thinking specifically about OCI, I wish that I had known and nobody tells you this when you don't know any lawyers, that all big firms kind of do the same stuff. And so the one differentiator that you have is the people that you meet when you go through this process and i'm happy that you're all here meeting us but like maybe we're not the right vibe for you and somebody else is so all you really have to go off of is the people that you meet unless you're very interested in some very niche type of law that's only practiced by one guy in one tiny office in one giant firm but more likely you are you know you're kind of just going through this you know you want to be a lawyer you maybe have an inkling between corporate work and litigation. That's where I was. I had no idea what transactional lawyers did. I still sometimes wonder. Mm. So <laughs> meet the people that you can meet, attend events like this, get a sense of the people that you're going to spend your days in and out, you know, what they're like. Because at the end of the day, we spend too much time together to not like each yeah. other. So.
0: And it's a huge gif- differentiator, I think, between yeah. the firms and their cultures. And we're like, we'll get into that next. But Anna, what are your thoughts? Sure, I really liked what
4: what Vaughn said and and as you know, Alexis, I have a theater background and in the theater we say there are no small roles, only small actors so whatever part you play, I mean really play it and dedicate yourself to it and be the best you can at making those signature lines because people notice you know more more than the substance of what you're doing in the beginning they notice your willingness and your dedication and your commitment to team. I think those things get noticed very, very much, and they're they're the things that are going to get you to the next and bigger step. I also would say keep trying. If you do not get what you want, keep trying. I wanted a federal clerkship. I wanted to do it so bad. I tried every year. I applied, and I applied, and I got rejected a million times until I didn't, and I think it's worth it to really make an effort even if you don't succeed on the first try.
0: Byron, what are your thoughts, advice?
1: I'll give three. So one, I would say is pursue your passion, like figure out what about the law, you know, interests you um, because you're going to be so much more dedicated to it and 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 willing to go the extra mile if it's something that you actually enjoyed learning about the law. Second, I would say is, you know, when you get in, you know, the, if you have your summer internship or when you become a first year associate, speak up early and often, right? Like a lot of times I remember my, myself, I was very hesitant to speak up in team meetings and to, express my my viewpoint but that's why they hired you right that's why you're there and so they want to know that you're willing to speak up and even if you're unsure like take that risk and like you know say what's on your mind because quite frankly you know most of the time you're gonna you know bring a unique perspective and be right and third i would say you know when you decide to present your work product when you're an associate or a summer associate always act as if it's going to be something that's going directly to the client, right? Anticipate questions, you know, give your answer up front at the very beginning, treat it as if it's like ultimately going to the client so you can put your best foot forward because, you know, first impressions do matter.
0: Byron, something you just said reminded me of a comment that Clyde Tinnen gave in his episode of the podcast. So Clyde is also a a blackmail partner. He's in Foley's Milwaukee office. And he talks about how it can be very hard when you're early in your career to want to speak up or to, to ask that question, but realizing that particularly a lot of the partners and more senior lawyers you're working with, they're moving pretty fast. And if they do something that you're like, I just don't know if this is right or doesn't make sense to you, you either want to ask as a learning mo- moment so you learn why they're doing it. But occasionally, they may actually make a mistake and they might value you raising it. So I see you nodding, Byron and, and Vaughn. I don't know no, if you have absolutely. a comment on that.
1: And I'll just give you an example. So I was just in a, a board meeting with a client last week in Miami, and. Fortunately, the client was fine with, you know, the associate and the senior counsel being in the meeting. And I remember, you know, during some of this, I would discuss a point and I would actually reach out to the associate in the meeting and say, hey, did I miss anything? And quite frankly, more on, on more than one occasion, they were like, oh, well, actually, what about this? And they, they mentioned additional things that should have been mentioned. And so they just added to the conversation, which is so helpful and so constructive um, in the views which they were presenting. I would just encourage you all to speak up. As much and as possible, it, and
0: it's and I ha- also it's tough when you're new to this environment. So I saw a lot of people said they are, you know, first gen in general or you know, first lawyer in their family. And I was actually just talking to a new lateral at our our firm because i I talked to every new attorney that we hire. But she was talking about, like I've never navigated this sort of environment before. And so I think it can be hard for anyone, but especially when you're new to working in some, you know, tall, high rise with, people who've been practicing for a long time, Danya, I see your head. And so there there can be almost like a confidence gap that I think can be, Danya, say words, I see your mouth moving.
2: <laughs> Just unnamed. No, like you come in and the imposter syndrome is insane. And it goes back to not seeing anybody that looks like you. You're like, oh crap. Like I have like, to be the flag bearer for people that look like me and be competent and not fall over and not, you know, like say something dumb. <laughs> So yes, I, so how do you, how do you, how do we navigate that? Oh, you got to fake it and then you'll make it. You have to fake it. I absolutely. And my mom, she jokingly one time told me that I should, in my professional life have pretend that I have the entitlement of a white man. I think that was something she read in a book once. And she's like, you just have to pretend, you know, the, you know, what, the way that people will walk into an office without knocking, they'll just walk in and start talking. She's like, if you do 15% of that, you're going to be Okay. So it's little things like that, just sometimes it's even repressing your own instincts to not speak up like uh, Byron just said, but trust yourself and eventually you're going to realize that the things that you were doing, like your coping mechanisms are the way that you're actually, you know, it's going to behoove you to just act
0: like that all the time. Well, and I think what's really hard, because once again, as a diversity professional who occasionally will you know, do trainings on things like cross-cultural communications and things, there are certain ways in which as an environment, we need to you know, become either more inviting or more inclusive, and we're doing that work. But I think there are some realities to the norms, particularly the U.S. norms in a workplace that you're entering. And I also think a lot of lawyers, I'm going to call it three to five years in your career, but please practicing attorneys correct me at what, some point you will have an epiphany of like, wait a second, nobody else really knows, like at least at my level knows what's going on. And my guess is as good as any. So I'm going to make that guess, or I'm going to ask that partner to, to have a better informed guess. But at some point the balance shifts and you're just, and so like, Anna, you're nodding. Why, why are you nodding when I say
4: that? <laughs> I'm nodding because when I started my federal clerkship, I got this big case. I had to you know, write an order on this motion. I had to make a decision. I was really confused. It was very difficult. And I went to the career clerk and I asked her kind of a complex question. And then, you know, because she'd been doing this for a while and she just looked at me and she has kind of a dry attitude about her anyway. And I love her to death, but she's like, oh, Anna, in order to answer that, I'd have to do your job for you, you know, and it's, it's. I was in that moment that I realized she doesn't know the answer either. Like my job is to figure out the answer, and and nobody knows. The judge probably doesn't know, and and you realize you just need to figure it out, and and you have the skills, and you you have the experience. You are an attorney, and you can do this.
0: Yep, and I also will say, and we'll segue to what I'll call sort of you know for lack of a better term, the Foley propaganda section. <laughs> well, I think at at Foley we have an environment where also generally it's okay to ask questions due to the way our firm is structured and the leverage that we have, meaning like the partner to associate ratio, people tend to have the time and capacity when you're like, I, I, I know you asked me to do X. I haven't worked on that before. You know, ask your questions or ask for a template. So what I'd like to segue to is talking a little bit about Foley, The highlight what you'd like, either the, what attracted you to Foley or what has kept you at Foley. And Anna, I'll go back and start with you on this. Like, so what's differentiated Foley for you? I think ultimately when I made the decision to come here, part of
4: it was there was a complete and total lack of pretension in the office. You know, I had interviewed at enough big law firms at the time that some law firms just, especially in Miami, you know, have kind of like a, I don't know, everyone was so Put together and glamorous and false in a sense. And you kind of got that vibe when you walked into a particular office. And the vibe I got in the Miami office of Foley was more familiar, more more family like. You know, uh, the the people talked to me differently. I felt very, very welcome when I was speaking with them and felt very comfortable that I didn't have to keep my guard up or my sometimes quirky humor could come out and it would be appreciated. Those were some of the factors that led to choosing Foley.
0: Byron, how about you? Why Foley? What's kept you at Foley?
1: For me, I mean, kind of just, you know, echo what Anna said is that I'm mean, definitely the people. Like I have to be in an environment where I enjoy working with the people. I enjoy being around them. You spend so much of your time in the office and around these people um, that you have to enjoy being around them. So that was the first thing for me. Second, and I'll be just honest with, it, I mean, was, you know, the money. <laughs> um, I enjoyed, you know, being paid well. Um, I was at, as as you mentioned, I was a federal prosecutor beforehand. Did not get paid as much. The experience was great, but that was definitely a motivator for me. And then finally, for me, the third thing I would say is just the, the interest. Like I, I have a, a a strong background and interest in like, you know, healthcare work. And it's one of the things that Foley special, specializes in, whether it be on the corporate or the litigation side. So it goes back to my point where you have to find an area where you are passionate about it, enjoy working in it, because then, you know, you'll you'll truly enjoy the people around and in the, the environment you're in.
0: Vaughn, you're next. Why Foley? What's kept you here?
3: So I lateraled here as a, as a third year. I've been here about eight years. And uh, when I was interviewing in D.C., I, you know, met different personalities. And so definitely the people and this guy was telling a story in one of the interviews and he was at his kid's basketball game and the client calls and he picks up the phone he leaves the game. And you know, I'm thinking he's going to say, like, you know, I told the client I'll get back to him. But he's like, so obviously I left the game. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm not going somewhere where I'm expected to leave my kid's game. I didn't even have kids at the time. But I was just like, that's not, like, I won't be successful there, you know, because I really say no. But I say not now, like, all the time, you know. And so, like, then the guy I interviewed with that Foley, who's now the managing partner of the office. But, you know, you go in. He's got like all his college stuff up, his screensavers, his kid's face, you know, like everything is just like, clearly this is like a normal person. Like that's where, you know, where I want to be a part of. And then DC is not big on venture capital. So that was something I didn't want to give up Lateraling from Boston. And so they were like, hey, we're trying to grow the practice in DC, but we have Boston, we have Silicon Valley, San Fran, and we're going to plug you in to the broader firm. So you keep getting that type of work and like, made good on that promise. And then also my old firm in Boston, a very white shoe, old school firm for junior associates, it was like, stay in the office, bill, bill, bill. Like, we want you to do that here too. But it was was no emphasis on business development, not encouraged. And frankly, like told, like that's not the best use of your time for the firm to be at conferences or to be taking people to lunch. And that's not what they valued. And here at Foley, very entrepreneurial. And if you want to do something, you're going to get support. You know, if you have initiative, it'll it'll get supported, and you can like do that extra stuff, like that non billable stuff that I think is really will in the long run push you further. Like Foley's all about that, and so like those factors, as when I was evaluating firms as a lateral, made me choose Foley, but keeps me at Foley. And same thing, like now I'm a partner, and I'm like, hey, we have this you know view on the Potomac. I want to throw I want to throw a party, you know, like I want to throw a party and just invite everyone. And they're like, Yeah, that's that makes you gotta make your business case, like what's it gonna cost? How many people do you think you wanna meet? You know, you gotta it's not like just free dollars for whatever you wanna do, but if it makes business sense, like folly will support it and in investing you in your in your practice. That's a great summary,
0: Vaughn. A couple of takeaways. I will tell David Sanders, who's our office managing partner in D.C., (laughs) that you've called him a completely normal person. For anyone who's uh, any affinity for, been to, knows of the University of Michigan, that is the school that is plastered all over David's office. David's also been on the podcast and goes into his Michigan fandom origin story. And also, Vaughn, if the party hasn't happened, please invite me. I will will try to make it to D.C. (laughs) Uh, Danya, how about you? Why Foley and what's kept you at Foley?
2: Foley was inadvertent for me. So I was a 1L at a firm that combined with Foley between my two summers. I will tell you that when I came into the office, after having gone on a million interviews of like, Danya, tell me a time you overcame adversity in your life. I remember the hiring partner here was like, do you know any good jokes? And like instantly, it just felt like culturally a very good fit. And when I came back for a second summer, it was Foley then, and nothing felt different. And I think everyone has said people so far, but I think it's the people. Like Byron said, you come every day, you spend your whole day with all these people. And at the end of the day, you still got happy hour because you still like them. And that's what's kept me around. I mean, wh- who's going to take me, right? Where, <laughs> where am I going to go? But I really, I love everyone here. It's, there's no duds, especially in this office. I'll tell you that.
0: Well, Danya, I just have to bring out the story you also shared in your podcast episode about the espresso. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that because it's- sure. So not- I came in,
2: I was hired through the 1L sort of diversity program that the Houston Bar Association basically gives you a second bite at the apple on OCI. It's got like a, a bigger group of employers. So there, I go on a bunch of these interviews over the span of, I think, two or three weeks. And I have one at the precursor firm called Gardier, and it keeps getting rescheduled. So I had it rescheduled like two or three times because the hiring partner, who is Scott Ellis here in the Houston office, He's busy. I don't know what he's up to, but he's busy. And I feel a little jilted, but it's okay. So he reschedules finally for like a Friday afternoon at 4.30. And I was like, all right, these people are not serious about me. Fine. Whatever. I'll, sh- I'll go. I'll show my face. And so uh, I meet him at reception. And so we have three floors. So we come up to the middle floor and we have an espresso machine and kind of a like little conference area. So Scott gets one regular espresso and one decaf because he drinks decaf. And he's like, it's four 30. I'm kind of tired, you know, but I don't, I'm happy to take the free coffee. So I'm drinking it and I'm not getting any less tired, but I see that Scott is getting more hyper. And over the course of the next hour, I realized that he is uh, drinking my caffeine and Yeah, the rest is history. And then he asked you if you knew any jokes. And then he asked me if I knew any jokes. At one point, I remember him telling a story of a woman he had interviewed that was, like, really nervous and anxious. He was like but not
0: you. You seem great. And I was like, it's because I'm under caffeinated. Yeah. There's my- constant, like no jitters at all. Oh, that's funny. And Scott's is another um, person who's also been on the podcast and the episode definitely worth checking out. All right. So we have around five minutes left and I want to spend our last few minutes as a group talking about OCI tips and recommendations. And hopefully for all of you watching, when you get into breakout rooms, you feel free to follow up on these or anything else that anybody said, but this one instead of calling on you i'm going to take some volunteers my first question is what's the question you wish law students asked you or you think that that more law students should ask or any so other I'll, tips if nothing else yeah I'll, Go jump ahead.
1: In. I'll jump in i mean you know I, I think a question that a lot of you know law students should ask is what makes your firm different right the corporate lifestyle corporate law firm is very similar in many many ways um, but make, you know, the people who are interviewed think about, well, why, you know, why is your law firm different than all these others? Also, too, I think a great, great question to ask them is that what are they doing to improve diversity? You know, I would say for, uh, you know, Foley's made a lot of strides over the last you know few years, but there's still more work to be done. Right. Like I want to see, you know, more of you all who bring diverse interests and, you know, look, look similar to me or even look, you know, different from me here at the firm, because I think diversity makes us a better firm. Diversity of viewpoint, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of interest makes us better. You know, um, if we have everyone who has the same viewpoint and thinks just like me. That's not going to make us provide the best work product for our, our clients, right? So those are some of the things I think that you should, you know, definitely ask about Is uh, is definitely questions relating to, you know, diversity and, and what the what the priorities of the firm are.
0: You know, and picking up on that, once again, as Foley's Director of Diversity and Inclusion, I'll say a lot of times when people ask, what, you know, is your firm committed to diversity? What you're actually asking is, are you going to be committed to me? That's often what that, like, can someone like me excel here? And so I think it's great to ask those questions. Um, generally, a lot of our websites look the same, but I also think diving into questions about training and development are also very important. How will they train you as a lawyer, and that's where you actually can start teasing out out some differences. It's a really important question, and not everyone, frankly, is going to be as prepared to answer it as as others. But it's something important to ask. And maybe since I was a recruiter in a former life, I actually have a lot of opinions about wasted mm-hmm. interviews. So whoever's in my breakout, we can talk more about that. But Danya, Anna, and Vaughn, are there things that come to mind for you when it comes to either OCI tips? or things that you wish more law students asked you? I'll say something, Alexis, just to follow up a bit on asking
4: about diversity. I think anyone you ask, is your firm committed to diversity? That firm is going to say yes, because they have to. So it's not just asking if the firm is committed, but what are you actually doing? Are there groups, like at Foley, we have affinity groups, but They're not just affinity groups and names. Do those affinity groups do anything for my career? Do they connect me with other attorneys so that it'll advance my career? Are you putting money into those groups? Are you putting time into those groups? Do I get credit for attending them? I think that's, you know, show me the money, not just that you're committed because every law firm in 2022, that's a big law firm is going to say they're committed to, to diversity, but they may not really be. And then the other substantive question I would ask is, what can I do between now and the time my summer starts to make me a better summer associate and really try and commit to improving yourself. There's this huge year between the interview and when you start. So what are the things that I need to be doing now so that when I show up in the summer, I can be at the most. You?
0: Oh, I see. We had a question come in, which is how do you define finding an appropriate work-life balance and do you feel as though you have work-life balance? I don't want to go too over, but let's give this an extra like two minutes. Does anyone want to volunteer? Actually, Vaughn, I'm going to go to you because you mentioned that impression about, you know, not wanting to step away from your kid's game. I, mean, I know you since have had kids. How do you navigate the work-life balance?
3: I guess another positive thing about Foley, David Sanders, at, at in D.C. at least, like, Everyone kind of – you follow the leader, whether it's intentional or not, and it sets the tone for the office. So, like, he's like, I'm going home at 5 to have dinner with my family, and I'll be back on 738. So that gives everyone permission to, like, go to the gym, go eat dinner with your partner, like, go do whatever you want to do at the end of the day to be a human. And then, you know, we still need to deliver – top quality work on time to our clients so you know you got to log back on most often but it's not like some other maybe bigger firms where like associates are locked in there right from eight to ten or something something crazy and like that's just not the culture at least for the dc office and so uh navigating it has been easier than maybe other places because like they want us to stay and be fulfilled and if you can't like have a like somewhat of a life you're going to burn out or you know probably try to do something else and so um i think it's the right move and but it's also a good business move because i think it's good for retention and stuff but yeah my work-life balance is starting to get out of control like my daughter hopped on a call today and i'm like no 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 no." and she like jumps (laughs) up and she's like ah and i'm like you almost joined us (laughs) yeah and i'm like apologies you know i'm like put over there but now like post pandemic or i don't know if we're still in it i mean it's a little more normal for like kids to pop up or for to do a call and you're kind of multitasking and clients and we're out of time, but they'll say, hey, can you talk? And I'll say, hey, yes, if you're OK with like my son riding shotgun or I can call you in three hours, you know, like up to you. And they, they always say yes. They always want to talk now. You know, so, you know, they talk now and at least that fully that's OK. I mean, you just got to do, do your best work and, on time and people are kind of really flexible, I would say. I think that's
0: good insight. And I think overall, we're a firm where people don't hide that they have interests and lives outside of work. I think there may be some places, and maybe the pandemic has pushed this further. We're really understanding everyone's humanity, but I think fully did that before the pandemic. So I'm one minute past our allotted time together. Just a couple of notes. One, I want to thank all of the panelists so much for your candor and for just rolling with my sort of rapid fire questions. We're going to be heading into breakout rooms next where you all can ask the panelists. More questions, one on one. Please don't be shy. Please ask us. But also, before we break, once again, I've re- I've repeatedly plugged this podcast that I host. I'm not actually paid per download, de- despite the fact that it may sound like I am. I'm not, but I still would encourage you to to check it out. It really gives you more of the insight of what we've been talking about. Thank you so much for listening. As promised, the rundown of the episode numbers for the guests on the panel are as follows. Von Bryant, as I mentioned in the show, he was episode number one. Byron McLean, he's episode number 35. Anna Romas is episode number 42. And last but not least, Dania Abbasi is episode number 49. I do encourage you to take the time to go back and listen. Most of them planted seeds during the discussion you just heard that they will talk a lot more about in their dedicated episodes. And also all of them just have really interesting stories and paths to law that are absolutely worth your time. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this special episode of The Path in the Practice. Thank you for listening to The Path in the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review, as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner, LLP, its partners or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.